It's good to see you. My family's been trying to help me out through my uh, months, four months now of having issues. And uh, my daughter was trying to calm me down a bit. And from the issues I have, my 13-year-old daughter said, just take this. She just gave it to me just now, and I don't I think this is the first day I've actually spent one. It's working. You know, these are banned in schools, but not in church. So if you have one, go ahead and pull it out. I've been looking forward to today for a long time. Actually, I've been looking forward for two years. Today is the day we send out our church plant, Chicago Gospel Fellowship. Pastor, yeah. Pastor Tim, along with his team, will be planting a church in the North Park neighborhood of Chicago. And at EBF, we believe planting churches is a big deal. It's a critical way to reach people who are far from Christ. Uh, it's often been said that uh, the only way to defeat darkness is to light more candles. <laughs> this is precisely what church planting is. Church planting is the act of creating communities of light across this dark world. We would not exist as a church unless another church took the initiative to plant us. Our first worship service was back in 1987 in September, and we were planted by a group from Oxford Bible Fellowship in Oxford, Ohio, near the campus of Miami University. And our unique history gives us this passion and this distinction that we want to plant churches that preach the Word, actually believe the Bible, and we want to plant churches that are active in missional community. They have community where they're actually trying to do stuff. And we want to uh, plant churches that are sharing the gospel. And the kicker is, this is where we're unique, we want to do it by college campuses. In the U.S., uh, the stark reality is college campuses are often dark places, and there's not very many Bible-believing churches near them. And so it is our passion and our ambition to plant churches by college campuses that preach the Word. And over the last seven years, this is our fourth one, by God's grace. First one was planted uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. We sent, sent out Brian Lair and a team. Our second one was in Rogers Park by Loyola. We sent out a large group from here. Our third one was in Gainesville, Florida, uh, by the University of Florida. And today we're, we're planting uh, Chicago Gospel Fellowship, which is going to be near Northeastern and North Park. And this morning, we're not just going to send them out or launch them out. I'm telling you, we are going to blast them out of here with so much propulsion that the rest of us will feel the ground rumbling and will feel the heat of the blast. Because the goal is not just to motivate the team that is leaving Part of the goal is to encourage you as you walk with the Lord, as you live the Christian life, as you share the gospel. So I want to motivate everyone in here. In order to do that, we're going to look once again at the book of Revelation. So go ahead and turn there. Revelation 19. We've been going through Revelation this whole year. Two more months left, then we are done. For the last several chapters, we have been in the midst of a time before the return of Christ called the Tribulation, and it has been catastrophic. God's judgment has been poured out on unbelievers through plagues, the poisoning of water sources, the releasing of demonic tormentors, sun has been scorching people, 
along with other such events resulting in a significant amount of the population being destroyed. And the last few chapters have shown God's enemies, along with the whole evil system, coming undone and crashing down. Now, as we hit chapter 19, there is much rejoicing in heaven as God's enemies are defeated and his relationship with his people is depicted as a wedding in their ultimate salvation. I want to read this to you. Let's go ahead and stand. Revelation 19, 1 through 10. Let me read. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his saints, you who fear him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. You may be seated. In a little bit, the whole church plant team is going to come up here, and we're going to, uh, like I said, blast them out of here. For those of you who are on that team, you may have a mixture of excitement and apprehension. I'm sure some of you have asked the question, why am I doing this? It's unsettling to leave your home church. Some of you have been here for years. I talked to someone this morning who's been here for 20 years. Some of your kids, this is the only church they have known. It's unsettling to leave. It's not only unsettling, it's also inconvenient. I mean, it's going to take a lot of time to start a new church and all the relationships you have to build and the challenging logistics. And I just want to tell you now, it's going to be really uncomfortable <laughs> to continually share the gospel over and over. We all should be doing this, but even more so in a church plant. So if, if it's unsettling, inconvenient, and uncomfortable, why are you doing this? And you may be wondering, why am I doing this? Revelation 19 will give you the answer. And for the rest of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, may you be motivated to do that which is inconvenient, uncomfortable, and unsettling because of what is going on in Revelation 19. Let's just go ahead and jump in and just go through it. Let's do it. Revelation 19.1. After this, I heard what seemed to be 
the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. This is the redeemed multi-ethnic multitude that we saw back in chapter 7. God extends his salvation to all tribes, every nation, and peoples, and language. And here they proclaim, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Did you know this is the only chapter in the New Testament where the word hallelujah appears? And it appears four times. And it means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What I want to do is I want to give you four occasions this morning from this these verses to praise the Lord. Four occasions where praise is rising up to God, where, where it said, hallelujah. And we'll go through these four as we go through the passage. The first one is this. God is praised for bringing salvation to completion. God is praised for bringing salvation to completion. God's people are not only forgiven of their sins through Christ, but one day, when we're with the Lord forever, as these are, we will also be free from the presence of sin. Do you get that? So right now, we're forgiven of our sin, but we still have the presence of sin. But one day, that will be removed when final salvation is ushered in, and we will say hallelujah in heaven, right? So one day, this life of pain and suffering will be wrapped up. And this is a good word for you who follow the Lord through trials and press on to make disciples. If you find in your life right now that the Christian life is hard work, then you're probably doing it right. Yes, Jesus, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And as we have these pressures, we throw them onto him and he carries them. But the Christian life, fighting sin, loving people, dealing with your own heart, is hard work. There's coming a day where that will all be done, but that day is not yet. I keep coming back to the first church I pastored. This is only the second church I pastored. The first one was when I was 25, finishing seminary. I would take any church that would take me. <laughs> the Lord took us out to uh, from Dallas, Texas to Santa Monica, California. Santa Monica is that part of L.A. that's going to fall into the ocean. That's the part. That church was filled with prayer, fasting, caring for the suffering, consistent and bold evangelism. And I'm thinking, okay, the things that we did in that church, many of them will be transferred over to Chicago Gospel Fellowship. Prayer, fasting, consistent and bold evangelism. But that church, my first church in Santa Monica, after 106 years, closed down. Why would I mention that today? Why would I talk about a church closed or about to open one? That's really motivating, right? But here's the point. I want to make sure you don't miss this. If you believe we're headed to final salvation, where this is all going to be wrapped up and we're going to be with the Lord forever apart from the presence of sin, right? If you believe that, then get this. That means we can relax. We are forgiven people. We can do the hard work, but here it is. Let's leave the results up to God. 
Let's leave the results up to God. We are headed to final salvation. We will be free. There won't be no more hard work. But until then, we keep going and leave the results up to God. We're not in charge of the results because our eyes are set on final redemption regardless of results. So God is praised for this final redemption, but God is also praised in this passage for his justice. God is praised for his judgments. Look at verse 2. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cry out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The prostitute here is the evil that killed the saints and spread immorality throughout the earth. Now the evil ones are exposed, judged, and then smoke from the destruction goes up forever and ever. I know it's hard to believe, but God is praised for his judgments because he's also praised for his mercy to us. And his judgments highlight his holiness and display his justice and even more so his mercy to us. Here's the good news to think about this. Satan will ultimately be cut off. There'll be no more. He will not be messing with you anymore. He and all his evil ones will come a final end. But until then, this is the hard part to accept, until then, you and I will engage in spiritual warfare. There will be this spiritual warfare for the saints. Get this. You'll often find that the righteous efforts of the saints are often combated with the attacks of the enemy. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to get serious about the Lord. Maybe you're some guy and you've not been walking with the Lord. Maybe you're married and you tell your wife, honey, I'm going to get serious about the Lord. And you think your life's going to be awesome? No, you just put a target on yourself. I'm telling you, when you start to make some movements of walking with the Lord, do not be surprised when the attacks get ramped up. It's the way it works. I don't like that it works that way. Well, I read the Bible. People are doing great things for the Lord, and they're having issues. That's, that's normal. That's a normal Christian life. And we're, we're blasting off this, this church plant today, and here's the deal. They're going to have this summer. They're going to have this summer gathering to the launching in the fall, and there's going to be some struggles over the summer. I'm not trying to scare you at all. I'm just telling you, the summer, you will have some hard parts because there will be some spiritual warfare. But this is what I'm telling you. I want you to be like the Apostle Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says this, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Wouldn't that be great? You're not unaware of his schemes. So when you're with your church plant team this summer and you're like, we are really having some relationship struggles. Pause. We're not unaware of Satan's schemes. Maybe you have some sickness. Pause. We're not unaware of Satan's schemes. When you can't find a place to meet and all your logistics are falling apart, you go, ah, ha, ha, ha. We're not unaware of Satan's schemes. You get this? 
as a Christian and as a church, when things are falling apart and not working, it doesn't mean that God's not with you. It doesn't mean that God is not blessing you. Why does God have to always be blessing you when things are going great, but when things are going terrible, God's not blessing you? Right? Like, oh, this is miserable. God's not blessing. Maybe he's got a different blessing in mind. Maybe more of your holiness, your growth in Christ, your maturity. So maybe some of the hardest times in your life, God can be blessing you like crazy. You just can't see it. Do not let the attacks of the enemy take you out. There'll come a day where those attacks will not come anymore. Today is not that day. Do not quit. Do not give up. Keep pressing on. So he's praised. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's coming up. There's coming a final salvation. The enemies are going to be judged. But here's my favorite one. Number three, God is praised for his sovereign control. This is a really good one. Let me read some verses to you, all right? Verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you as saints, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty, reigns. Hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, Almighty, reigns. For me, the sovereignty and the reign of God is one of the greatest realities about God that has sustained me over the long haul. That when it seems like that someone else is in charge of my life and is reigning over me for evil and directing events for my undoing, I have to pull back and say, hold on, God is reigning over my life. It may not feel like it right now, but he is reigning over my life. Because sometimes things will happen and you'll wonder, God, are, are you really still on the throne? Are you really still ruling over my life? Our uh, worship leader, Andy Hudson, is away this weekend. He is leading our worship team retreat. There's two retreats going on right now. There's a lot of college students going on a retreat, and our worship team's on a retreat. So Andy's leading this retreat. Um, I don't know if you know Andy uh, well, but he is, he's, he's a great clarinet player, one of the best around. It's a thing that he likes to do. It's his thing. About 18 months ago, he was in a bike wreck that smashed his teeth. Now, if you know this, you need your teeth to play. In moments like that, you may wonder, who's reigning? Who's in control? past few months, as you know, I keep talking about it. I've had a variety of health challenges. And I, I really just do one thing. I just preach. I don't do anything else. It's the thing I like to do. But my health has been damaged to the point where I wonder, will I be able to preach again? And all week, I wonder about, am I going to be able to preach again? This morning, am I going to be able to preach again? I'm standing here barely. Am I going to be able to preach again? I mean, 
And, and then when things like that happen, you wonder, who's reigning? Who's in control? I mean, because one day when we're, we're with the Lord in heaven, we're going to know for sure he's reigning. We're going we're to see Jesus face to face. We're gonna, it's going to be clear. But right now, are, are you wondering, who's in control of my life? Things are not working the way I had planned. I mean, some of you have moved on to plan B of your life. Some of you are on to plan C. And some of you have already exhausted the entire alphabet. And you're wondering, who is in control of my life? Is someone in control trying to undo me? Remind yourself, God is on the throne. He is in control. And if you're his child, he loves you. He loves you. And I feel like it, but he loves you. And he's working things and all the details out for your good and for his glory. And it may not have been your original plan, but God's in control. And he's a good God. And he knows what he's doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God is praised for his final redemption. He's praised for his judgments. And he's praised for his sovereign control. And the last thing is that God is praised for the marriage supper of the Lamb. God is praised for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. There is coming a day with the Lord that is pictured as a wedding where the Lamb, Jesus, will have his bride, his people. And unlike our weddings where the focus is on the bride, here the focus will be on the bridegroom, the Lamb. Because it says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. The song is not, here comes the bride, but here comes the bridegroom. Now I'm going to let you a little insight here to really focus that the, the, it will be on Jesus. My poor wife, when I got married, um, I wanted to kind of craft our ceremony to make it biblical. <laughs> My poor wife. Um, so um, this is no joke. She walked down the aisle first, being all beautiful, turned around, and yes, I walked down the aisle second. I'm just being biblical, all right? <laughs> so my poor wife, uh, yeah. It was a depiction of Christ coming for his church. And as I came for my beautiful bride, as Christ will his church, and she was looking all beautiful. And we are told here that God's people make themselves ready now. Did, did you see it in verse 8? Did you see it? Verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I mean, theologically, we know that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But have you ever seen that before? That the righteous deeds of the saints enable God's people to get themselves clothed for the wedding day with good works. Those of you participating in 
the church plant. Have you ever thought about it this way? That you are, you're getting yourself dressed for that big day. Your small spirit-empowered works, your large spirit-empowered works are, are going to be on eternal display one day. That's pretty cool. Now keep reading about this wedding. It gets even better. Verse 9 and 10. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down on his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brother who holds to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. <laughs> you know, John's getting all caught up in the whole event, and he falls down, and he starts to worship the angel. He's rebuked. Don't worship God. So aside from John's worship issue, the focus is clearly, once again, on the marriage supper of the Lamb. This will be the ultimate marriage and feast. This is the feast and the wedding that you want to be invited to. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The feast has been anticipated in the Old Testament and even by Jesus, and its arrival is close at hand. I'm just wondering in your lifetime if you can think, what is the biggest wedding or the most famous wedding that you've ever seen? Or heard about. As far as weddings go in my lifetime, I would say probably uh, Princess Diana. Would you say? Would you guys agree? And Prince Charles in my lifetime. It's one of the biggest weddings televised. Maybe many of you uh, watched it if you were alive. Now, I, just, I want you to know, my wife and I actually have something in common with that wedding. <laughs> we do. I'm not making this up. The lady who did the flowers for their wedding also did the flowers for our wedding, so we're kind of a big deal, all right? <laughs> Just so you know, all right? But no matter how big their wedding was, or our wedding, this is going to be the most important wedding ever. Let me give you a snapshot. I'm, I'm going to give you a quote here, a little snapshot. Never has been there, been there a more worthy bridegroom. Never has a man sacrificed more for his beloved. Never has a father more wealthy planned a bigger feast. Never has a more noble son honored his father in everything. Never has a man treated his bride to be more appropriately. Never has a bride needed her bridegroom more. Never has a prince with more authority taking a bride with less standing. Never has a bride and her prince uh, die for her, rise from the dead for her, <clears throat> and give her to his own standing before the Father. Never has there been a wedding with more guests than this one will have, and never has a wedding taken place on a more momentous occasion, the end of the overlapping ages and the ushering end of the kingdom. Never has there been a marriage like this. Hallelujah. It's coming. Praise the Lord. But as we think about this wedding, I think there's some important, actually two things I want to kind of leave you with as you think about this wedding and being with Christ forever. Um, the first, uh, I'll just put this up on the screen for you. The first is the wedding imagery expresses the intimacy, love, and joy between Christ and his people. Think about it, think about it. Face to face with Christ forever. <laughs> In him is everything. In him is joy. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Why is death gain? We get Christ. 
And even now, we can experience fullness, blessing, intimacy, closeness with Christ. And I want to talk to the church plant team real quick. I know you guys are scattered all over the place, but I want to tell you this. And I want to tell everybody else this. Your closeness with Christ and joy in him can be lost when you attempt to do great things for God. You can be so busy for the Lord that you can forget to simply be with him. Let me say it again. You can be so busy for the Lord that you can forget to simply be with him. I don't know, should I get a show of hands? Who That's your reality right now? Or maybe internal, your heart's raising its hand. Yeah, yeah like, oh, I'm busy for the Lord, but I'm really not enjoying him right now because I'm not spending time with him. But I'm doing stuff for him. Did you know that we can enjoy the Lord now? We can express our love for him now. One of my favorite passages is from 1 Peter 1, 8, 9. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Does that describe you? Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. To my busy brothers and sisters out there, cranking it out for the Lord, Don't let your busyness push out intimacy and spending time and enjoying Christ. Because if you're not enjoying Christ and you're cranking things out for the Lord, I'm going to make a little prophecy over you. You will eventually crash. You'll crash. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you'll crash. May you enjoy him. And the last thing I want to say about this, this awesome wedding that's coming is this. Those who are invited are going to be blessed, while those who are not invited will be suffering apart from God forever. And what I would like to see is those of us who are blessed with the invitation, right, be eager to share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know Christ so that they could maybe be blessed and invited to the feast as well. I like to think that, that we're handing out as many invitations as possible as we love people and share the gospel with them. I think about wedding invitations. My wife and I really worked a long time on our wedding invitation, and for, for whatever reason, we had so many more. We, like, we must have had to order in bulk to get a discount, but we had a ton of invitations left over, and we kept them throughout the years. But then we want to get rid of them, and so what we did, we gave our wedding invitations to our kids to draw on <laughs> and to use as scrap paper. Wasted invitations, right? We want to make sure that There are no wasted invitations. Those of you who work with some people, you have some people you live by, and you've yet to talk to them about Christ, don't waste the invitation, right? Share the gospel with them. Be bold. May we have no wasted invitations.